Welcome to Activate with Pastor Christian Newsom, a podcast of Journey Church International. Welcome to the Activate Podcast with Pastor Christian Newsom, a ministry resource of Journey Church International. My name is Ryan. It's my joy to get to host every week with Pastor Christian. Sunday was message two in a new series called Jesus People, and uh, we're in Matthew chapter nine, and the message is called My Spiritual Priority. Welcome to many of you who are who just recently found us. Maybe a friend shared it with you. We're really thankful when you do that. If you'd rate us, that would be great as well. Uh, but people tune in every week, so we try to make sure we provide some really practical ideas on growing your faith, activating your faith. So we're glad you tuned in today. Pastor Christian, there's several great things about 21 days of prayer. Not only do we pray and seek God together individually, corporately, but we also equip people to live and serve Jesus. So would you take a moment to challenge our listeners to go back and, and listen to the recorded devotionals? Yeah, so this year especially had a theme. We've never had a 21-day theme before. Our third year doing 21 days of prayer. First year we did it in the fall, then we flipped around and did it again in January. Then we kind of hit COVID season, we did it in the fall, and we went to a 10-day model in January. Now we're back 21 days of prayer again. And we, we've never had... Um, 21 days on one topic like we have this time, specifically on the topic of spiritual warfare and learning how to, to discern the voice of the Holy Spirit from the voice of spiritual warfare. It, it, it has been, we're recording after day 18, it has been phenomenal. Um, this library, and I don't know how our production team does it, but we will have to package this 21, which really is 18 days of teaching because on Sundays we just kind of pray through some other stuff. This 18 days of teaching, we will have to package because one of our staff values um, is that you walk with Jesus. And part of walking with Jesus is recognizing the enemy. Uh, like, like what we've taught for 18 days, we're, we're now going to train our staff with for the next probably 18 years. That shows you how, how much I think of what we've been teaching. So if you're someone who wants not only to walk closer to Jesus, but to learn how to recognize spiritual warfare, when in the area of temptation, be strong in the area of spiritual warfare. Yeah, you got to go back and you got to watch these messages. It's been, it's, it's always good to, for me, it's always good to pray. Um, I love Jesus and I love him more when I spend time with him. And this forces me to spend an hour just contemplating prayer and praying every morning for 21 days. I want our people to walk with Jesus. We want our people to be passionate Christians, not just Christians. And you can't really be a passionate Christian if you don't have a, a deep relationship with Jesus. So to be able not only to give people a place to pray, but a model to pray, specific prayers, to teach them how to pray, um, to shape their prayer life. I think one of the greatest honors when we look back at life, I think one of the things Jesus will tell us good job for when we get to eternity will probably be much less the creative sermons that we thought we preached and much more the practical elements of, hey, good good job teaching people to talk to me. That was really important in their life, and they learned that through things like 21 Days of Prayer. Yeah, I really hope people will tune in and watch it as well, and, and it is some things that we probably need to go back on a regular basis, because arming up is not a once-a-year deal. It's it's a daily thing. So really glad we uh, we had a strong theme for it this year. 48 people made spiritual decisions last Sunday, which was incredible. And a major goal of our church is to help those new believers understand and grow as new disciples of Jesus. 
To accomplish that, we're starting a monthly best day ever party. And the first one is October 31st at 11 a.m. So, Pastor Christian, why is it so important that those who made spiritual decisions come to the party? And why should maybe any of our listeners who know one of those folks, why should they bring them? Yeah, so I I think the first good question to ask is how do we know anybody made a spiritual decision? Well, they told us. Um, I mean, we we can't know, but they what they told us is that on that day they asked Jesus to pray to forgive their sins, and they told him they needed him, and they committed to follow him. They told they told us that's what they did. So forty eight people told us that's what they did, and maybe there were maybe there were more who did that who didn't tell us. Um, Jesus said in the parable of the sower, which we'll study in Matthew thirteen when we get there. And, 2027 <laughs> or, or sooner who, who knows it's taken us a while to get through to get through each chapter of Matthew that when the gospel is sown like when when the seed of who Jesus is and what Jesus does is thrown on people's hearts that immediately the enemy's trying to steal it um, that it can fall on rocky soil and end up shallow that it can get in thorny soil and be choked before it's fruitful but he said the soil that is good can reproduce a crop 30, 60, even 100 times what is sown. So we, we know that Satan is trying, he's trying to steal the seed that was sown, or he's trying to make the heart hard like a path. So for us, as soon as, soon as we can um, protect that seed, as soon as we can get a, get a pickaxe and start chipping away at the hard heart that that seed fell on, as soon as we can start removing rocks out of the way or pulling weeds as soon as we can start tilling up the soil around the spiritual decision the the better chance we believe somebody has of reproducing a crop of becoming a disciple who makes a disciple we we don't have a theology or hold a doctrine that people can lose their salvation so it's not like if they don't come to the class uh, that they might not be saved anymore Um, probably those who end up walking away from the faith, like the Apostle John would say, showed, showed that they really, they really didn't receive the faith, that it was a surface-level decision, but their whole heart wasn't in it. And those who have received Jesus, the Holy Spirit has already sealed them for the day of redemption, but it is the job of the church. It is the job of church leaders. It is the job of pastors and teachers to come around and to till up the soil so that people can be fruitful and productive. So that's why it's so important, not because they might not really be saved if they don't get to the class or if they get to the class then everything's perfect but like this this discipleship journey that they're now on is hard and is difficult and they need help and if we could give real clear direction real early it'd be great you have to understand for those of you who had a friend make a spiritual decision somebody reached out to me and said hey my neighbor was there they raised their hand sitting next to me you got to invite them to come and here's why they already have somebody telling them not to come like Satan is already in their ear saying, don't go. So if the only voice they're hearing is don't go, um, they're probably not going to come. But if they have a voice say, hey, I'll go with you. Um, yeah, like I think we have 10 times greater chance having somebody come to one of these classes if someone will come with them than just showing up on their own. So it's really important for the soil of their heart and how deeply and fruitfully that seed ends up becoming in their life. If we can get them to a discipleship class quickly after they make a spiritual decision, because the enemy's at work, we want to be at work too. And I would say, even if you weren't one of those 48, if you've made a decision in the last year, at any year, point, at yes. any point yes. come and be a part of this, it will strengthen your faith. It'll help, it'll help grow you, and we'll point you in the direction for your next step. Uh, the followers of, of John the Baptist and the Pharisees 
struggled to see Jesus because they were, you know, they were putting their hope, as you mentioned in the message, in land, in the temple, and even a, a coming political king is what their hope was. So this is an important distinction that skewed their thinking. And because some people may not have grabbed onto this concept, can you kind of unpack right. the viewpoints of these groups, which leads to their confusion? Yes, yeah, so I'll, go, I'll go even a step further. So they had put their hope in the promise of God, the presence of God, and the kingdom of God. But they had attached those to land, temple, and kings rather than Messiah. Yeah. Uh, so they were hoping in promises and presence and kingdom, but they were looking like in the wrong, like they were looking in the wrong direction for those things. It's like if you're in Kansas City and the answer is in Denver, uh, like they ended up in Nashville. It's like you went the totally wrong direction. Like you're on the right road. You know, you, you started on I-70, but you went the totally wrong direction. Um, yeah, we need to go eight hours in the right direction, um, eight and a half, nine hours in the right direction. So the Essene community, um, which jo- which many people think John the Baptist was a part of, and which probably many of his followers came out of, for those of you listening, E-S-S-E-N-E. The near Essene. the Dead Sea, also. Yeah, near, near the Dead Sea. Um, yeah, kind of in the Qumran caves, what is known as Qumran today. Um, they were a group of they were a group of Jewish God followers who had rejected the second century temple. So when the temple was torn down in 586 BC um, by Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar when they when they came in and ripped the thing apart and tore it down, and the presence of God through the prophecy of Ezekiel was seen departing. Um, they they believed that the temple that very specifically Herod had improved upon, right? So they came back, and they ended up um, Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest, and a group of them helped by Ezra and Nehemiah and Haggai and Zechariah. Like, they they kind of rebuilt temple worship, um, you know, within 150 years of the temple being torn down. But Herod had so overdone it. And the Sadducees, this political class that, like, mixed politics with religion, um, and religion with politics, had so corrupted what they saw was worship that they had abandoned Jerusalem and they had boycotted temple worship because they're like, the temple symbolized the presence of God with the people of God, but that's not what's happening. So they had, they had rejected what was happening in Israel altogether. The Pharisees were a group that arose... 500 years before the Essene community, probably led by Ezra. And here was the problem. The people of God were put in the land of God, and they were given the tabernacle and then the temple of God to worship God. Like, that's how it all worked. And then the land and the temple went away, and they're like, wow, we are the people of God without a land of God and temple of God. How do we still connect to God? So Ezra built this concept, we believe, of the, San, of the Sanhedrin, 70 leaders that taught people the, the Torah, that taught people the wor- like the Word of God. Like, we don't have the temple of God, we don't have our altar, we don't have our sacrifices, we don't have our hype, we don't have all that stuff, but we do have the Word of God and strict adherence to the Word of God. I guess is just going to have to make up for, like, for what we're missing. We can't physically go to the temple in the land and worship, but we can show God anywhere that we are dedicated and devoted to His Word. Um, in this class of biblical teachers that very legalistically said, we've lost the temple, but we can still worship God through our obedience to the law, um, rose up and basically said, the law now is God. Like, both the Essene community and the Pharisees 
wanted to connect to God. The Essene community thought it was by rejecting the worship that was in Jerusalem. The Pharisee community thought it was by just strictly adhering to the law of God and what was happening. And they, and they both miss Jesus in thinking, if we can get the temple cleaned up, everything will be okay. They miss Jesus, the Essene community. The Pharisees thinking, if we can just get everyone to follow the rules, we'll be okay. Miss Jesus. And they both, in their attempt to get to God, got sidetracked by Satan, kind of showing them like the shiny object over here. Hey, let's stay focused on on temple. Clean up the temple worship and everything will be okay. Essene community missed Jesus because they were so stuck in trying to bring back the old. Pharisees, hey, if we can just get everybody to follow the law, you know, like shiny object over here, look over here. You're going to totally miss Jesus. Um, they, They were going backwards. And Jesus said, like, the answer is not backwards. He, com- he compared Old Testament Judaism. He compared the old temple land kings of Israel to an old garment that had worn out, torn, and beat up. And he said, if you put like a new patch on that and it tears again, the patch is going to hold, which means the garment is going to tear more. Like if you go backwards, you're just going to put a bigger hole in the garment. Like if you still depend on temple, land, and kings, you're, in the future, you're going to miss even more than you have in the past. New wineskins. If you try to fill up your connection to God based on everything that happened in the past rather than what's happening in the present, your bubble is going to burst and you're going to miss it all together. So the Essene community, trying, trying to get to God by going backwards. Pharisee community, trying to get to God by going backwards. And Jesus said, like, hey, look at me, and let's focus on moving forward. I'm doing, as Isaiah would say in Isaiah 43, I'm doing a new thing. I'm doing a new thing. So look at what I'm doing and and follow me. Fascinating, though, when you study the religious communities to understand what they were trying to do and how sad it is that they missed because of a simple distraction, trying to hang on to what was old instead of grabbing what was new. It's a great, uh, great understanding as you unpack that. It, it really helped us, uh, helped me as I, as I looked at your message and, and, uh, and heard it to be able to put those concepts together. And, and certainly John the Baptist wasn't confused, right? He was, he was pointing, but his followers were he, um He didn't start confused. He yeah. didn't end confused. We will see him in Matthew 11 before we get done with this series. Tell his disciples, go ask Jesus, are you really him? You're right. Or did we... Or did we miss it? Yeah. Because he was sitting in prison uh, waiting to have his head cut off. And he had some doubts. Yeah. That maybe everything wasn't cleaned up the way he thought it was going to be cleaned up. Certainly understandable. Yeah. yeah, He didn't miss it at the beginning when he said, that's Jesus, follow him. Or at the end when he gave his life for the cause of Jesus. But yeah, in in the middle, he had his doubts like, uh, like we all do. And it ended up being a great faith moment for him and a look inside how God can use doubt to grow us by being able to read a story in Matthew 11. Yeah, look forward to it. A really powerful point of your message was when you talked about spiritual vision frames, and you said Satan points out what has gone wrong in your past, while Jesus points to what can go right in your future and eternity. What, what is the spiritual significance of having the right spiritual vision frames? Well, I, th- I think it not, only, um, it not only determines your purpose— what you think God puts you here to do, which our growth track ministry accomplishes so well. Like if you have a friend who's trying to figure out what is God's purpose for my life, just please bring them to growth track. Say, I've already been. Go through it again. 
Because I promise you, if they walk through those four steps, they're really going to see, I think this is what God has created and designed me for, and this is what God has for me to do in his kingdom. So a big part of it is, is purpose. If Satan can keep you looking backwards, he can convince you your purpose is to keep working your way towards God, cleaning yourself up, getting better. Like he, he can remove the power of the gospel, which says you do, you do not have to fix your past in order to follow Jesus in your future. Jesus did it all. Follow me. Follow me in grace, and then show that same grace to others. So if Satan can keep you looking backwards, even if you're following Jesus, he can keep you working for your salvation rather than receiving your salvation and living in it. On the other hand, Jesus, Jesus shows us, we talked about it in Romans, like our glorified self, not like our saved self. Jesus, I want you to see yourself in heaven. Like, you're like, Looking forward tells you, you don't have to work for this. It's done. It's accomplished. Like, your room is reserved. Your, like, door has your name on it. Like, quit trying to work for my love and my grace and my mercy and my forgiveness. Like, quit working to try to save your soul. I did that. Start working in the kingdom to help me save other souls. Like, the vision frame of the future says, Jesus took care of my past now I live my present to help him take care of the future. Looking backwards says, I got to keep cleaning up, got to keep cleaning up, got to keep cleaning. It just gets me stuck on me. Legalism at its core is, is, is a mirror rather than a frame. It's just all about me. And if I can get out of the way and say, Jesus is taking care of me, and I can see his vision for my life, the future, the world, if I can see my glorified self, I'm not only saved, but I'm called, I'm glo- like. God's like I, like, I saved you, I forgive you, I called you, I already see you in heaven. Now, between your salvation and heaven, let's get to work. Not on cleaning up your past, I did that. Like, on following me, leaning into me, spending time with me, accomplishing my purposes for your life. I think the vision frame is so important because it, it shows us what we work for. Um, and if we're always looking backwards, we're working for our salvation, which doesn't work. We can't work for our salvation. If we look forward, we're working for the king and the kingdom. So I think, I think that's the real key importance of the vision frame, seeing what Jesus wants us to see in the future versus what Satan keeps reminding us of in the past. Great truth. Uh, over the years, my family's had the joy of seeing people who you wouldn't expect to follow Jesus have a change of heart and begin to follow him. Uh, in Matthew nine eighteen, I think we see an example of this. Uh, it says, while he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. What, what do these examples from, from Scripture teach us? Well, I think, number one, that faith doesn't make sense. I mean, this guy's faith is inspiring and, like, astonishing at the same time. We've seen Jesus do a lot in Matthew's Gospel. I mean, he healed a leper um, he spoke, he, like he healed a leper with a touch. He spoke healing to a centurion's servant. He healed Peter's, Peter's mother-in-law with a touch, took her by the hand. Um, we've seen him just with spoken word, cast demons out of people. We saw him ca- like calm storm. So like Jesus clearly has authority over sickness, over spirits, over nature, no one's ever come to him and said, can you raise a dead person? <laughs> and then this guy does. It's like, what is going on in his world of faith that makes him think he's done everything else? Why, like, what's it going to hurt to ask? 
can you raise a dead person? And Jesus kind of takes it in stride and is like, like, all right, where, where is she? I think what we can learn through this, kind of what you talked about today, like nothing is too big for our God. Nothing is too big for our God. And Jesus gave a glimpse of resurrection power here. He gave a head, like this is a commercial of resurrection power. Then he gave the movie of resurrection power in John 11 with Lazarus. And he actually said in that one, God, I'm doing this just so people know I can do it. Like this one was kind of private. He made everyone leave and didn't even tell him if she's dead and I'm going to wake her up. He said, ah, don't worry. She's just like, he downplayed it. With Lazarus, he put on a show. Um, God, I'm doing this. Like everybody around me knows I can, I need them to know I have resurrection power so that when he died and came back again, like it, it wouldn't be totally shocking, even though it was a shock. It was like, oh yeah, he does, like he does this. Um, I think what it shows us is no prayer is too big. No need is too big. And while we don't know the mind of God, we can trust that the hand of God can do absolutely whatever it wants. I think we need to pray big. We need to love big. We need to hope big. Um, and we, you know, we need to trust big in God and in what he can do. Um, it, it would be, um, I mean, it's crazy. Like to try to put ourselves in this story, be crazy, be crazy to leave the hospital room where they've just pronounced time of death and, and go ask God, but like bring him back. Like that doesn't even make sense, but that's what this guy did. And we believe, we actually believe Jesus does that for everyone who follows him. I mean, John eleven twenty six says, those who believe, even though they die, they live. Like it's just, it, it is a picture of the fact that every follower of Jesus lives eternally. And when they appear to be dead, they're really alive because he has resurrection life. But I think it's also a picture of um, pray, pray big on this side of eternity and the things you can see, pray big because God does crazy things when he wants to. I think my life is a story of that your life is a story of that our church is a story of that. Um, and I think we honor God with big prayers, not, not offend God when they are for him and for his glory. I think it's great to see too, this synagogue leader, not too many synagogue leaders. No. People were worried about getting thrown out of the synagogue right. and here's a synagogue leader Bowing a knee, so to speak, he he um, not so to speak. He did, yeah. He bowed down, yeah, yeah. He, yeah he and bowed. Jesus had to be his last resort. I mean, yeah. G- these people were not friendly with Jesus by this time. No, but it was like what, like, wh- what other options do I have? There are a lot of people. We talked last in last week's message. Jesus said, "I'm like I'm here for people who desire me." There's a lot of people who don't turn to Jesus until they've tried it, everything else, and His grace is so big that, um, like in Instead of chastising him, he's just like, 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 you know, hey, I'm glad, glad you finally decided, like, come on. He doesn't turn him away. No. Um, yeah, he's, he's waiting and he's willing. And those are some of, some of his greatest stories. Tried everything but him. And then I tried him and literally he raised m- my life from what appeared to be death. Great story. Uh, the, the spiritual realization number two from your message is our greatest priority is time with Jesus. And you, yep. you make a statement toward the end of your message, Jesus people constantly think about being close to Jesus. How so and, and why is that? I think a couple reasons. Um, one, relationally, they, because we love Jesus. We love Jesus more than we love our spouse. We love Jesus more than we love our kids. We love Jesus more than we love our best friends. I mean, we, like... Jesus is the guy who is more than all of those. We love him and we want to be with him. 
But one of the reasons we want to be with him is because of what he provides us. Um, when we're in a situation that's scary and he's there, it's less scary. So we, we want to be with him. When we're in a situation that's painful, but he's near us, it's less painful. When we're in a situation that is hopeless and he's there, it's a little, um, it's a little less hopeless. Like, Jesus improves every situation that he walks into, and his people know that. So they pursue him just out of love and relationship. But life is so filled with broken things in this broken and sinful world that often Jesus is the only thing that really brings comfort and relief and hope and perspective and healing. Um, so we want to we be close to him because like he, he, improves, he improves everything. Like he just makes every situation better. And Jesus, people who love him and walk with him know that, and they just want to stick really, really close to him. Every day is better when you're just sure Jesus is close to you. And the only way he's not is if you walk away from him, because he's promised never to leave us or forsake us. So unless we have something built into our routine that tells Jesus, stand here, I'll be back. His intention is to go with us and our Holy Spirit backpack with you know, all the items of the armor that we mentioned and all the items of spiritual fruit that we mentioned and the spiritual gifts that Scripture mentioned. Like, his his plan is to be like a, a backpack that never comes off, that just, through his Holy Spirit, is always with us. We almost have to set him down um, not to be with Jesus. So if we're ever not close to Jesus, always on us, not with him. Uh, and if we allow him to stick closer than a brother like he wants, just ev- like, everything's better. Everything's better. I think the key word there is priority. He is he is a priority in our life, and we have to continue to make him a priority in our life. Yep. The fourth uh, track of our uh, discipleship tracks is our leadership track. So every week we've been asking, uh, what from the message would you want our audience to share with someone? It's the it's the grid of prioritizing Jesus uh, through the through the lens of how God shaped. Um the heart spiritually through Old Testament Judaism that is always a picture of New Testament Christianity. So it's that daily time with God, the morning and the evening sacrifice. It's that weekly day with God, the Shabbat in Israel, um, our Sunday. It's the thought of spiritual community. It's the thought of living on mission. Uh, It's the thought of time in His Word. It's the thought of time in His prayer. Like, if I'm taking this message and I've only got five minutes to, to say, hey, this is the most important part of it for you. I'm looking at that prioritizing time with Jesus, and I'm telling someone, do this. Do it for a year. Like, prioritize your life this way, mornings and evenings, and sometimes even the daily office of prayer. Like, we're just going to stop and, and talk to Jesus every day. And then we're all, like, Sunday is going to be God's day, and we're going to be in church, and we're going to serve in church, and probably have some spiritual community that day as well. Uh, we're going to live... We're going to live thinking about Jesus, worshiping Jesus. We're going to live studying his word and being directed by Jesus. We're going to figure out what Jesus wants us to do and do it. Like, do that for, like, set your life priorities around that for a year. Give that to someone and say, do this for 365 days. At the end of 365 days, come back. Tell me if you feel like more of a Jesus person because you've prioritized spending time with Jesus. Because that's the second realization of Jesus, people, that um, I have to prioritize time with Jesus. My greatest priority is time with Jesus. My greatest need is spiritual. It's Jesus and his forgiveness. My greatest purpose is spiritual, but my greatest priority has to be time with the guy who 
loved me, forgave me, called me, directs me, wants to be with me. Uh, priority with him. Priority with priority. Prioritizing time with Jesus is the most important and impactful thing that Jesus people can do. Great lessons this week. If you haven't watched the the message, be sure to uh, check out our app, or you can go to YouTube and find our Journey Church International channel. Uh, we'd love to have you uh, go there and watch it. Also, don't forget 21 Days of Prayer. Either come and be uh, a part of it in person. Although by the time you hear this, uh, it'll be it'll be over. But go back and watch them. There's some really practical things on putting on spiritual armor. Um, Pastor Christian, thanks again for for joining us on the pad, uh, podcast. We're glad you have tuned in to listen. Come and join us in person on Sunday morning at one of our three services, 8, 9, 30, or 11. If you got a question you'd like us to answer or you want to share with us how God's working in your life, you can email us at activate at takethejourney.cc. We look forward to catching you next time on the Activate Podcast, where we challenge you to build a faith that is active. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Activate. We would love for you to join us in person for one of our weekly worship experiences. You can find out more information about JCI on our website at takethejourney.cc. Help us get the word out about this resource. You can do so by subscribing, reviewing, and sharing this episode on your favorite social media platform. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time on the Activate Podcast. Activate.